just get a smile on my face every time I hear that. My hat goes off to Peter Trulin, who put that music together for us. Uh, uh, beautifully done, Peter, and thank you so much for that. So in case you don't know what you're listening to, that's the intro music for the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm just pleased as punch to be hosting the show this week. Uh, my name is Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game, Rec Poker Jim on Twitter, while we've still got it. Um, and if you don't know what's going on at Rec Poker, we're a group of very enthusiastic and fun-loving poker fans. Uh, we like learning together, we play together, we commiserate together, we celebrate together. Uh, it's a free organization that everyone can come and sign up for a free account. If you go down over to rec.poker and sign up, all it takes is an email address and a smile, but they are both mandatory. Um, I have to thank our sponsors because most of what we do is free. Like I said, we're a largely volunteer-based organization, and that includes the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Uh, we couldn't do it without them. And I really have to thank our premium members, their pledge of $15 a month. I know, only $15 for all the amazing material we put out here at Rec Poker for our premium program? It's insane! Uh, but come on down to Wacky Jim's House of Poker and drop those $15 off. It makes a huge difference. Uh, puts a smile on the face of everyone here on the Wrecking Crew. And I mentioned the Wrecking Crew because they're the real uh, magic makers, the real heroes behind the curtain here at Rec Poker. Um, I, you, you get used to hearing my voice because they throw the mic in front of me on Monday nights, but I'm just one of many. I couldn't do it without everyone in the Wrecking Crew. If you want to learn more about me and the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can just listen up because we're about to hit you in the ear hole, starting with my main man, Ben Enslow, over here. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, yeah, as Jim said, Ben Enslow, uh, BJamin on 96 on Twitch. You can find all my socials there. And uh, I'm East Coast Bitter in the home game. And I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I'm Rob Washam. And you can find me Rabman50 just about everywhere. And in case you're wondering, folks, that's right. We got him. We got him back in the room. We had so much fun last week uh, talking about multi-way pots with the one and only Rob Gardner that we cast the hook out, <laughs> reeling him in. We got him in here. We're going to talk about one specific hand in uh, that has to do with multi-way pots. Um, so first of all, Rob, just thanks for coming back to the show, man. We love talking to you about poker. Uh, you never have to reel me in, my friend. I, I will... <laughs> I, I I I'll slip you a twenty after the uh, <laughs> it's over for uh, letting me come on here and, and... no seriously, he's gonna Chris, jump on, on the here. boat he's just jumping right on the boat he's we jumping right in we don't even need a net for this guy get him in here <laughs> <laughs> well you're great you're a great addition to the crew here we love talking poker with you Rob um, now we're not the only people that you talk poker with you've got a lot of exciting things going on in the world of poker um, a revitalization of of your streaming your your sort of Putting you thrusting yourself back in the limelight. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners in case they didn't catch last week about some exciting stuff that's going on with you these days? Yeah, so I got approached uh, coming back from the World Series of Poker by um, uh, two people who wanted to make a big splash in the industry um, and asked me if I'd be interested in coming back and streaming. And at first, I was a little apprehensive about the idea. Um, but after kind of seeing their vision for what they wanted to accomplish and some of the ways they wanted to go about it, um, they reeled me in too. And, uh, <laughs> the name of the project is hundred K studios. And basically the organization, the company, their goal is to bring a hundred thousand fresh faces into the game of poker by making the game more entertaining, by making educational, um, educational poker, more accessible, more fun to learn. Uh, and, uh, the premise is basically that, um, they're kind of the, 
I'm going to date myself, but the man behind the green curtain, you know, the, the old wizard of Oz, right. <laughs> and uh, pay no attention to the, the man behind the curtain. They're kind of staying behind the scenes um, while they kind of lead me on this poker journey um, of bettering myself and challenging me to get better at all facets of my game, both on and off the felt. Um, and then in turn, trying to um, take that out into the world and inspire more people to work on their games, learn more about poker, have fun more playing poker, and hopefully bring a lot of people into the game and, and have a, a overall positive impact on kind of the entire poker industry. And so it's a very fun project. It's a very challenging project. And yeah, it's got me back in the content world doing content, which I always have enjoyed and love doing, um, while it's simultaneously continue trying to, to build my game and, and grow myself um, and, you know, make myself a better human being uh, in addition to just poker. That's great. Well, I mean, we talk all the time here about how poker is a great corollary for life. You know, the lessons you learn in one will aid you in the other. So I applied that uh, mission and that journey you're on, Rob. Um, where where can people find out more about this if they want to? And how can they kind of get more involved with you and the work that you're doing in this area? Yeah. So January 17th, as you guys are, are listening to this, you'll be able to check out the website over at 100kstudios.tv. You can also follow me on my Twitch at twitch.tv slash pokerpasser. It was my old uh, montage that they had me bring back. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Rob Gardner Live. There will be lots of exciting events and things going on between all three. Um, we'll be doing some free coaching along the way, and we'll be doing some interviews might even bring Jim in for an interview at some point. So we might uh, flip the script here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, any of those are, are great avenues to kind of see what's going on and check out the project a little bit more. Right on. Well, you're an easy guy to get to know. You're an easy guy to get along with. Uh, we love talking poker with you. So I hope, uh, I, I'm sure it's going to go really well for you. And you're going to uh, spread the light and uh, help some other people get even more into poker. It's such a great game. It's just, it's just I just love talking to people like yourself that want to spread this game as far as we can and, and share with other people just how easy it is to love, how rewarding it is of some study. And uh, yeah, so kudos to that. And I can't wait to shed a little light today on uh, multi-way pots. So um, Chris Jones is our uh, director of content membership here, uh, membership content here at Rec Poker. Uh, every month we have a new theme of the month. The theme in January is multi-way pots. It was uh, limped pots uh, playing against limpers in December. It's going to be sizing in February. And uh, we kind of unroll each theme of the month throughout the month. All our learning material all month is going to be based around this theme. So uh, we had Rob on the show last week. We talked about sort of in abstract what makes multi-way pots different from heads-up pots, some tips, some tricks, some things to avoid. Um, some general rules. I know all our recreational players enjoy having some general rules to follow and then some exceptions to those rules. Uh, we're going to take a look at a specific hand here that uh, Chris brought to the table. Chris, why don't you introduce the hand and uh, tell us a little bit about the circumstances in which it was played and uh, and sort of get get us started on it so we can start divide, uh, yeah. diving right into it. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think if you, if you, I hope you, if you haven't listened to the last week's episode, you should, because I think it's going to, this is going to really build on some of the things that we talked about, at least, you know, and I, I also think um, this is a hand I think we probably find ourselves in a, in a, a decent amount. Um, and I also think that I absolutely butchered this hand. So be honest and brutal <laughs> as we go through this. So uh, this is a uh, a Sunday ACR $55 tournament. 
Um, we're kind of in the early-ish stages. We've got an average stack with 60 big blinds to start the hand. Um, and we're in the cutoff. And it folds to us in the cutoff pretty uncontroversially. We open uh, with Ace of Diamonds, King of Spades. That, you know, pretty common. <laughs> nice hand. Um, the less common thing that happens to us is that everybody calls behind. The button, small blind, and big blind all call. Um, and they are all... Um, the button has about 40 big blinds, and the small blind and big blind have about 70. So they the, the two blinds cover us. Uh, the button, you know, we cover them. Um, and we're, so we're going to a flop with about 10, nine and a half, 10 big blinds in the middle. Um, any thoughts before I kind of let you know what happens next? So your sizing was, what was your sizing pre? Uh, I opened to 2.3 okay. big blinds and we got three, three callers. Um, any other well, that's nope. pretty mandatory open with Ace King. So yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, uh, I think the full mark so far. I think you're yeah, playing no, no, this no, hand perfectly. I, I nailed Chris, it. Like I nailed it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you played it really well. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Let's go to the next hand. Let's go to the next hand. Yeah, um, everyone else just folds uh, before the flop comes out, and yes, yeah, they just they yeah. walked away. They just voluntarily mocked. Yeah. Okay. Flop comes, and I think this is where. You know, where the part in my head came up where I was like, well, this is a multi-way pot. I got to be more careful. And I think after even listening to last week's episode, I might have even played this hand a little differently. But anyway, the flop comes seven of spades, five of hearts, three of clubs. So seven, five, three rainbow. Um, The two blinds check to us. And I decide to check behind as well, Um, thinking that this is a very... Uh, blind favorable flop. Um, I decide, and and because we're multi-way, I just decide that I I like my ace king. I'm probably actually pretty good here, but I can. It's not a hand that I'm really feeling all that comfortable. Um, kind of betting into these four players with. So I maybe I'll stop there, and maybe we can talk about this whether this should be one of those small bets we talked about last week. Well, before uh, Rob jumps in, I want to get I want to make sure I can get some bad ideas out of the way first um, as well. So to me, I, I'm I'm kind of with you, Chris, because it feels like this that that player in the big blind is getting such a good price by the time it gets to them that they're probably continuing with a really wide range of hands. And that's going to smack that 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 kind of flop more than even a more conventional big blind calling range would. So I don't think you're wrong to be thinking about all those, you know, one pair plus draw hands that that big blind players can have, even if we think the in position player and the small blind player are probably coming along a little tighter than that. Um, I don't think I don't think that's crazy or wrong, uh, Chris. So I guess the question that last week's episode makes me think about is how important is it to kind of deny equity to those other two players? Um and still go into a spot where holding ace king versus a one pair hand isn't actually doing that badly compared to going four ways. So yeah, that's the only thing that really occurred to me off the top. Who else has some ideas here? Right, we're coming right to the big guns, Mr. Gardner. What's, uh, so what's your analysis? I actually love this check. 
but the reason I love this check <laughs> is because of the tournament you're playing in, because you're playing in a $55 on ACR. Um, if you were playing in a $10 ACR or a $33 on one of the like less popular sites, um, I think you definitely want to put a small bet out because there is, again, going to be a small percentage of the time that all three people f- will fold, it, believe it or not. Um, because of this particular tournament and just because of the um, level of skill on a 55, a 55 on ACR is going to play like a, a 1K live. It's going to have some good players that are really, really good. It's going to have some bad players that are really, really bad. But there's going to be enough players that are decent that like that type of board, you're going to have players in that game who know that they can check raise that board just because of the range advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, and you end up betting in a place where if they're really check raising a proper range, you're supposed to have some defense and that's going to be extremely hard to do with a hand like ace king high. Um, it also limits your opportunity of getting a check through and maybe hitting an ace or king on turn. So we're like, for the average game that the, probably this listener is listening to, I would lean towards just going ahead and putting out a really small, you know, 10 to 15% C bet in this particular tournament, I would lean heavily towards check here. All right. Well, so far so good. Uh, and our button checks behind. So we go to a turn and this, and this is where the hand gets a little spicy. Um, Again, we had a seven three five rainbow flop with one club. The three was the three was a club, and the turn is the king of clubs. So now we've got uh, two clubs on the board. Seven three five. We have hit uh, top pair with top kicker, um, and it checks the two blinds check to us, and now we decide that. This is a hand that's probably strong enough to bet. Um, so into this about nine and a half big blind pot, um, I elect to bet um, four big blinds. Could go bigger, could go smaller, could go, uh, could check again. I don't know. Tell me, tell me your thoughts here. You want me to go first? So there's a couple thoughts here. Um, generally speaking, I think you're going to see weaker players bet a lot of their value hands um, and really strong players will check some of their value hands because they like strong players will understand the king is a good card for you. Mm-hmm. And a card that you're going to likely bet a lot, both because you hit it and both because you can represent it. Weak players don't have that comprehension. So, again, when you're up against weaker players and they have a strong hand, they're going to bet. When you're up against stronger players, they're going to they're going to have more traps. Um, betting in general in both situations is going to be good because we want to deny our opponents equity or at least charge them a reasonable price. Um, obviously the big blind can have a whole ton of combo, you know, pair plus straight draws, uh, potentially some pair plus flush draws, some gut shot, straight draws, um, some open-ended straight draws. So I think checking is probably the worst thing we could do here. Uh, in terms of sizing, um, you can make an argument for like 40 to 80%, kind of depending on the situation. Um, 
I think a lot of it comes down to what is your decision if you get raised. Um, to me, uh, I don't see a lot of value to betting here and defending a raise, even in a $55 tournament, unless I had a really, really strong read that my opponents were extremely capable. Um, so I'm probably going closer to like six big blinds here because I really want to equity price out a lot of the weaker draws. Um, and also we'll, we'll just get some calls from like second pair hands um, that maybe didn't lead flop and then kind of like, ah, I'm stuck on turn because the, the king came. So I would probably lean towards the bigger side, but I think anything between 40 and 80 is justifiable. Um, especially if you had any reads at all on the table that were kind of influencing your decision. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you got right. Is this, a, is this a spot where we can go bigger even like pot or a little over pot? Is this so, that, that kind of spot? Well, yeah, go, Rob, before you answer that, one of the things that I think we talked about last week and, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Rob, but um one of the things that kept going off in the back of my head about this is I think in, if I was heads up, then this would be a spot where I would go. If I was heads up against like the big blind and this King came, I would go much bigger. Um, But because we're multi-way, I think that we, we, the thing that I have been, as I've been kind of learning about this is like that we get to go smaller and kind of leverage the stacks off each other. Um, but I'm curious if that's your read as well, Rob. Well, again, it, this is the tricky part, right? Because um, if if we were in a $16 tournament, let's just take it back to that example. Um, the reason we would go way bigger there is because people aren't folding any of their draws. So we might as well get like, in fact, their, their range is going to be heavily condensed towards draws because they're going to bet a lot of their value. They're going to bet their two pairs. They're going to bet their sets. They're not going to check it a second time. So when they check and now we bet and their, their calling range comes into play, it's almost exclusively draws. And at that point, when you have a range that's capped to draws, we want to go to value town. We just want to go nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, this being a 55, it gets a little bit more tricky because now you're, you're kind of balancing your opponent type, right? And not knowing for sure where they're at, we get into more of a mixed strategy. And and the danger too is like, if you go too small in this spot, you almost invite check raises. Like one of the nice advantages of going bigger on this type of board where you do have very good interaction with the big blinds Um is it deters it deters some of their check raises, especially at an SPR of I mean, I see it was ten in the pot. It checked around. You're betting four into ten, so there's like you've got like fifty four behind effective, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So going seven to eight and them raising to like twenty bigs is kind of pot committing themselves in a lot of ways. There's not going to be a lot of twenty big blind check raise folds, um, so. It's kind of a situation where um, if, if if you were in a spot where everybody was really good or everybody was really bad, I think it'd be easier to decide. Like bad, we would just go big exclusively. Good, if everybody was really, really good, we would, do, we would go small in leverage, but we would also go small leverage understanding how many check raise bluffs our opponent has. And you would find ace-king being almost a pure call in that situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this spot, in a hybrid situation, we're probably not doing a lot of 
bet calling on check raises um, because our opponents just aren't perfectly balancing their ranges. So that's where I would kind of in this particular spot steer towards a little bit of a bigger sizing, um, get max value from draws from the bag players, deter the good players from having as wide of a check raising range and kind of merge those two strategies together. And maybe now would be a good time to just introduce a little bit of player typing too, as we kind of get into this. Um, the things that I do know is that the big blind is somebody is a complete unknown to me. I've played, this is the 12th hand in my life that I've played with them. The uh, small blind is a really good, really like, like top level, very successful pro um, on ACR. And the button is a bit of a fish. Uh, like a calling station, very rarely raises. Um, in fact, I have 242 hands and they've never three bet in like zero zero percent three bet. So this is like, and they have a, uh, they're a V-pipping and re- they're like a 36-16. So they're just like a really passive, passive, passive player. So, okay. So. We now know that button kind of passive fish, small blind really good, big blind unknown. Um, the we uh, we bet out the button, maybe predictably calls, um, and the small blind folds, and the uh, big blind check raises to fourteen big blinds. Back yeah. to me and my. Uh, I told you I butchered this hand, so I don't I don't think I probably did this right. But what what would uh, well I'll just tell you what I did. I called, um, and um, I I didn't really take the button very seriously here. Um, I don't I, I think if I if the button had flatted me, I'd feel like my hand is just gold. Um, but when I get check raised here. I, I, I maybe can find this fold, but I don't know. I, I don't know if I can. So I, I I call here. That may be the beginning of my unraveling. So this is uh, not this exact spot, but these types of situations come up a lot when I'm working with students. And one of the first questions I ask is when they, when they check raise, like, how do you picture, like, what do you envision his entire check raise range as being in that spot and an error on the side of being too inclusive. To me, it's uh, especially against an unknown on ACR. I think I have to give them all the sets. I have to give them like pair plus uh, straight and flush draws. So they probably have like a lot of like seven sixes and, and five sixes and some of those kinds of hands. Um, They're going to have a lot of, I think they're going to have some kind of, weird like a seven type hands those are going to be their bluffs that they like get a little it depends if they're bad or they're like a little sticky they're like frustrated that they're like that king came and they're just that there's there's that kind of emotional attachment to the but i just had top pair so i think that's going to be in there in some uh level they're going to have they're they're the big blind so they're going to have some straights they're going to have four six a little bit um and they're they're gonna have some two pair. I mean, they're gonna have a, a decent number of two pair as well. Yeah. So I definitely think all of the value hands you mentioned are gonna be in there. When you talk about a hand like a seven, 
Um, and this is kind of a weird concept, but I think what you have to do with a hand like eight, A7 is you have to look at it as a small partial frequency. In other words, there is going to be a percentage of the population that will take a hand like that and frustration bluff, but it's not going to be a hundred percent of the population, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be in my mind, that's like 5%. Maybe, maybe I'm being a little too tight. Uh, maybe it's closer to 10 or 15, but it, it's not going to be the entire population. And so as you kind of describe that range, it's weighed very heavily towards value. Yeah. Um, which means that in turn, calling gets less and less profitable. Um, The other two dynamics here are his sizing. He only went to 14 bigs, which sounds like a lot, but remember it's four big blinds, a four big blind call, and then a 14 big blind uh, check raise from out of position. It's honestly an undersized check raise at that point. And um, it's not one that's necessarily going to get through two people very often. Um, so it's not exactly the kind of check, like if someone is a seven, a lot of times they're going to be like all in, or they're going to like go huge. Cause they're, they're frustrated. They're trying to make a point and they're trying to push you out of the, they don't want to call, right. That bet is kind of inviting a call. Um, the third thing is like, you have the player behind you. So when he goes to 14 and you call for an additional 10, now there is 28, 38.5, 42.5 in the pot, and it's 10 to call for the for the button to get to 42. He doesn't even have to have that great of a hand from an equity standpoint to justify a lot of calls. So to me in this spot, I think you have two options, and neither of them are call, unfortunately. I think it's you either have to jam uh-huh. to push the uh, the button out if you think that the big blind has a sizable amount of bluffs, or you have to fold. Yep. Um, calling becomes a problem because again, it's it's the small bet on the flop principle in reverse. When you call, you're you especially with the player type you mentioned, he's never going to fold. So you're actually giving yourself negative equity because you're letting him in. And in addition to that, now we have a very inflated pot where it's almost going to be impossible for you to know where you're on river because what river card outside of an ace or a king and even then are you really going to feel that excited about i mean if a king comes on the river awesome you've got trips all the sets are still out there right so it's not like there's any card that can come on the river where you're dancing um so i think you have to shove or fold and I'm in this situation personally going to lead very heavily towards fold because I think that bet is a very inviting check raise. Um, And I just don't think there's very many players that are capable of check raising to that size with anywhere near kind of a proper range they would to give us, you know, a profitable call in that spot. Yeah. I I like that a lot. Um, I think, I think this was uh, definitely, I think this was a fold um, for at this spot, Um, but we do make the call and surprisingly the, the button folds. Mm. So we go heads up uh, to a river um, and the 10 of hearts comes. So our final board is seven of spades, three of clubs, five of hearts, king of clubs, 10 of hearts. We have 44 big blinds behind and the big blind shoves. Yeah, I mean, it's... (laughs) <laughs> and this is this is the nature of calling, right? Because if you're calling on the turn, you're calling because you think that he has a proper amount of bluffs. 
So at this point, it's like, if you think he has a proper amount of bluffs on turn, nothing's changed. You have to think he has a proper amount of bluffs on river. So it's, I mean, I don't, I don't see, (laughs) I wouldn't have called on turn, but once you call on turn, it's kind of like, you kind of have to go with your original read at that point. Otherwise you're just lighting money on fire twice. So um, I don't like the call on the river because I don't like the call on the turn. But once you get here, I think if you're, if your read is, I think he's capable this, you know, a lot of draws bricked out, the flush draws bricked out, the straight draws bricked out. This isn't really a card that completes many two pairs. You kind of have to finish lighting the money on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel you on this one, Chris, because I've been in this spot before where it almost feels like you have such a good hand that you don't want to fold. I'm talking like on the flop when you get check raised because you see the king and it's like, oh, yeah, I got ace king, right? King on the turn. Awesome. And then you get check raised and then all of a sudden you're like, mm, no, I'm not yep. feeling so good about this anymore. And yep. now I don't know. And that's why I like Rob's point of just, you know, if we're going to go for it, just go for it rip the band-aid off if he has mm-hmm. us he has us and if he wants mm-hmm. to call with some weird seven or whatever he's got then let's get the money in or if he's just going to fold then awesome mm-hmm. so yeah i think one thing too with with smaller check raises there i don't know about you guys i've always struggled with small check raises because i feel like i get this thought of like oh i can't let him get away with this like, what if he clicks me back, right? And he's just doing it as a bluff. But you have to understand, out of position, multi-way pop. The last thing he wants with any of his bluffs are calls. Right. So, like, nobody is, like, in the big blind, like, oh, I'm going to make a small check raise here into, like, all of these people. And then if I do it into all these people, they're just all going to fold. And I'm just going to print. And I don't have to worry about when someone calls because it's never going to happen. And now I have a bigger pot on turn and I'm still out of position. That's not a worry. Like, it's just not something that happens very often. So like, it sucks. It really sucks when you get that small check raise and you have a strong hand, but you just have to understand it's like from the dynamics, especially with what's going on in the button, the player is either like just doing it with pure value or if they're really good, they're not going to do test sizing anyway, because they know the button's going to call too. So it's annoying. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I ultimately did decide that like, kind of like the narrative that you described is just like, well, all those pair pair plus uh, straight draws pair plus flush draws, all the, they they just all bricked out. Um, And if, if I called that turn, I can't fold this river um, because this is such a big kind of, this is a get out of my pot kind of sizing. It's an over bet. Um, So I think the mistake was on that turn. Um, Did you, I'm curious when you, when you decided to call turn, did you decide in advance when you were going to call the turn that you were going to call any brick river? Like, was that a part of? Yes. I mean, yes, I, I, I was uh, able to do that. So it's good to hear. I was, I mean, if there, if this, if they, I would have been, you know, if a club came or sure. a really like, you know, straightening card came, I would have been a lot less happy about this, but the 10 of hearts is about as bricky as it gets here. Um, so I, uh, I called and they, had, they flopped it straight. They had four, six. Uh, of course. Um, they did. um, but I think it's a, it's a really good, um, a lesson in terms of the multi-wayness of this pot. And I think that the fact that there were all these players in this pot, that once we got check raised, we have to remember that the big blind is doing that 
not just to us, but to all these other players as well. Um, and so I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a turn I needed to let go of, I think. And I would definitely note that player is probably a good thinking player because not a lot of players are going to have the stones to check the nuts twice Yeah, uh, in that spot. So, and that's, again, that's where like, you know, playing an ACR 55, you just have to be cognizant that even, even when you don't know people at the table, I mean, in this day and age, there's just, there's a lot of people that are still playing on multiple accounts and do it. Like there's a lot of shit and it's just the reality situation. So, so like you have to like in, in those stakes, you definitely have to give players a little bit more credit and lean, lean towards people being good. Even if you don't have, you know, that, that, that sample info. So. Right. Right. That actually uh, brings up a question that I had listening to you guys talking about this. And so last week we talked about, scenarios or circumstances that you might choose to go multi-way or you might choose to try and go heads up hand characteristics you know stack sizes uh position a lot of good things that were covered there what about player types so it seems like obviously well maybe it's not obvious it seems like if you're considering going multi-way you you would prefer to do it with passive players and not with aggressive players i mean none of us want to play with good players if we can avoid it we should all just be game selecting so we're only playing with players that are not as good as us as as, as a general rule but is it as simple as skewing towards a more passive table like it's 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 okay to go multi-way on a passive table more often or is that just the kind of heuristic or general rule that we want to avoid yeah, I, I think that's I think it's a good rule of thumb. I mean, one of the most extreme examples is a hand like Ace King suited. Um, people would think it was blasphemy to, you know, not three bet Ace King suited in a multi-way pot. But again, let's just take it to an extreme situation. There's, you know, five limpers, and you know that the uh small blind and big blind are people who will literally put 200 big blinds in the pot with top pair. Do you really want to scare out their eight, seven offsuit or their five, six offsuit or their nine do suit it? Like it, it's, it's one of those things where <laughs> there are a lot of situations where there are multiple profitable avenues and the art and the beauty and the creativity of poker is understanding that and being able to figure out which of those profitable scenarios is the not profitable scenario for a specific situation. And that's why there's virtually no strategy in poker that you can say is bad hundred percent of the time. Cause there's always going to be a situation where it's not bad, right? Jamming 200 big blinds pre-flop with pocket aces. Oh, it's the worst thing you could do. Well, if you have a guy at the table who just wants to double up no matter what, and will never, ever, ever, ever fold any two cards there. It's now a really good strategy. So um, I, I don't very often flat ace king suited pre. I usually like to put that into my value three bet range, but the combination of passivity with, I think the other important factor in that is how poorly do they stack off because that really increases your implied odds. Those two things combined will definitely steer you in that direction. Um, you know, we all talk about sets and how like, you know, you'll hear 10 to one, you'll hear 12 to one, you'll hear kind of some different numbers flown out for what you need for implied odds to set mine. And the reason those numbers vary is because it's subjective based on, you know, we know we're going to flop a set, you know, one in six times is great. 
how often are we going to get paid off when we actually flop that set? That's the part of the equation we don't know. And so, yeah, passivity is great because we don't want to get squeezed when we come along for the ride. Um, But then in two, you need people that um, are willing to stack off. Uh, I learned this in cash games the hard way because I I'd get in these cash games and everybody's being passive. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to see cheap flops. And then like I'd get in spots where I would bet flop turn and river with a, you know, a set. And the guy would call the river with the second nut flush and not raise. And I'm like, I'm never going to double up in this game. If you will not raise with the literal second nuts, you're never getting it in ever unless I'm beat. And and in those situations now, even if they're passive, it doesn't help as much because like part of the implied odds of being in a multi-way pot is really being able to double up. And that's why we do it when we're deep because we're really looking you know, to win a 200 big blind pot early in a tournament and give us that stack that we can leverage heading into the money bubble. Yep, you know, every it. time I hear that 2007 poker stars, it's your turn noise, the hair on the back of my neck stands on end. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I want it back so bad. <laughs> oh. That's great. Yeah. So, Rob. We're playing as we as we sometimes do on these forums edition of the podcast that we record these on Monday nights, which is also when our tournament of champions is running. Um, uh, humble brag, I'm playing in the tournament of champions this month, and I'm not uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen you play. I'm not surprised. <laughs> the rest Rob of us are very surprised. Let me tell you, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they know me a lot very, better. Very they know me a lot better than you do, Rob. Uh, but thank you for the kind words. And uh, thank you for joining us for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. I, I swear, you know, we we lose track of time on here, but holy Lord, it's been here quite a while. Uh, I, I You're one of my favorite people to talk poker with. I'm so glad that you're having all this fun and success, uh, shining the light and and helping people get more into this game and, and spreading your love for the game. Um, why don't you just tell our audience one more time uh, where they can get a hold of you and uh, how they can tune in for more of the fun that you're bringing to this great game of poker. Yeah, so uh, they can head over to 100kstudios.tv is the website. You can check out my stream at twitch.tv slash pokerpaster, or you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Gardner Live. And listen, I am not Norman Chad, but I do have <laughs> one of his Starburst. And it's still, yes. I, have it, I, I have it. So anytime you guys want to do this, you just let me know. I, I will be happy to come on as much as you will put up with me. Right on, Rob. Well, you you heard it here, folks. Uh, Rec Poker Nation, you might be hearing a little more from uh, Rob Gardner <laughs> over the next little while if we have our way. Um, all right. Well, then, uh, without further ado, I have to thank the uh, Running Aces, Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, uh, Ben Enslow, Rob Washam, Chris Jones, the Wrecking Crew members that were here joining me tonight. Um, Rob Gardner for bringing a lot of fun and some great strategy knowledge into the conversation. Um, All our premium members, thank you so much. And you, the listeners, for tuning in each and every week, twice a week. Holy cow! Couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much.